Welcome to Rebecca Reads. Today's story is about Pandora, a Greek myth. Are there stories you know involving gods or how the world came to be? Many times these stories are called myths. Every people or culture on earth has their own myths that can be different from one another. A long time ago, in ancient Greece, the people there had a lot of myths full of gods and heroes and their adventures. The myth we are exploring today about Pandora talks about how man received fire and how trouble came into the world. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. Without further ado, here is the myth of Pandora. The world as first it was to the Greeks was such a world as the one in which we read in the book of Genesis, without form and void. It was a sunless world in which land, air, and sea were mixed up all together, and over which reigned a deity called Chaos. With him ruled the goddess of night, and their son was Erebus, god of darkness. When the two beautiful children of Erebus, light and day, had flooded formless space with their radiance, Eros, the god of love, was born, and light and day and love, working together, turned discord into harmony, and made the earth, the sea, and the sky into one perfect whole. A giant race, a race of titans, in time populated this newly made earth, and of these one of the mightiest was Prometheus. To him, and to his brother Epimethus, was entrusted by Eris the distribution of the gifts of faculties and of instincts to all the living creatures in the world, and the task of making a creature lower than the gods, something less great than the titans, yet in knowledge and in understanding infinitely higher than the beasts and birds and fishes. At the hands of the Titan brothers, birds, beasts, and fishes had fared handsomely. They were titanic in their generosity, and so prodigal had they been in their gifts, that when they would fain have carried out the commands of Eris, they found that nothing was left for the equipment of this being to be called man. Yet nothing daunted, Prometheus took some clay from the ground at his feet, moistened it with water, and fashioned it into an image, in form like the gods. Into its nostrils, Eros breathed the spirit of life. Pallas Athene endowed it with a soul, and the first man looked wonderingly round on the earth that was to be his heritage. Prometheus, proud of this beautiful thing of his own creation, would fain have given man a worthy gift, but no gift remained for him. He was naked, unprotected, more helpless than any of the beasts of the field, more to be pitied than any of them in that he had a soul to suffer. Surely Zeus, the all-powerful ruler of Olympus, would have compassion on man. But Prometheus looked to Zeus in vain. Compassion he had none. Then, in infinite pity, Prometheus bethought himself of a power belonging to the gods alone and unshared by any living creature on the earth. We shall give fire to the man whom we have made, he said to Epimethus. To Epimethus, this seemed an impossibility, but to Prometheus, nothing was impossible. He bided his time, and, unseen by the gods, he made his way into Olympus, lighted a hollow torch with a spark from the chariot of the sun, and hastened back to earth with this royal gift to man. Assuredly, no other gift could have brought him more completely the empire that has since been his. No longer did he tremble and cower in the darkness of caves when Zeus hurled his lightning across the sky. No more did he dread the animals that hunted him and drove him in terror before him. 
Armed with fire, the beasts became his vassals. With fire he forged weapons, defied the frost and cold, coined money, made implements for tillage, introduced the arts, and was able to destroy as well as to create. From his throne on Olympus, Zeus looked down on the earth and saw, with wonder, airy columns of blue-gray smoke that curled upwards to the sky. He watched more closely and realized with terrible wrath that the moving flowers of red and gold that he saw in that land that the Titans shared with men came from fire that had hitherto been the gods' own sacred power. Speedily, he assembled the council of the gods to mete out to Prometheus a punishment fit for the blasphemous daring of his crime. This council decided at length to create a thing that should forevermore charm the souls and hearts of men, and yet forevermore be man's undoing. To Vulcan, god of fire, whose province Prometheus had insulted, was given the work of fashioning out of clay and water the creature by which the honor of the gods was to be avenged. The lame Vulcan, says Hesiod, poet of Greek mythology, formed out of the earth an image resembling a chaste virgin. Pallas Athene of the blue eyes hastened to ornament her and to robe her in a white tunic. She dressed on the crown of her head a long veil, skillfully fashioned and admirable to see. She crowned her forehead with graceful garlands of newly opened flowers and a golden diadem that the lame Vulcan, the illustrious god, had made with his own hands to please the puissant Jove. On this crown, Vulcan had chiseled the innumerable animals that the continents and the sea nourish in their bosoms, all endowed with a marvelous grace and apparently alive. When he had finally completed, instead of some useful work, this illustrious masterpiece, he brought into the assembly this virgin, proud of the ornaments with which she had been decked by the blue-eyed goddess, daughter of a powerful sire. To this beautiful creature, destined by the gods to be man's destroyer, each of them gave a gift. From Aphrodite, she got beauty. From Apollo, music. From Hermes, the gift of a winning tongue. And when all that great company in Olympus had bestowed their gifts, they named the woman Pandora, which means gifted by all the gods. Thus equipped for victory, Pandora was led by Hermes to the world that was thenceforward to be her home. As a gift from the gods, she was presented to Prometheus. But Prometheus, gazing in wonder at the violet blue eyes bestowed by Aphrodite that looked wonderingly back into his own as if they were indeed as innocent as two violets wet with the morning dew, hardened his great heart and would have none of her. As a hero, a worthy descendant of Titans said in later years, I fear the Greeks even when they bring gifts. And Prometheus the greatly daring, knowing that he merited the anger of the gods, saw treachery in a gift outwardly so perfect. Not only would he not accept this exquisite creature for his own, but he hastened to caution his brother also to refuse her. But well were they named Prometheus, forethought, and Epimethus, afterthought. For Epimethus, it was enough to look at this peerless woman sent from the gods for him to love her and to believe in her utterly. She was the fairest thing on earth, worthy indeed of the deathless gods who had created her. 
Perfect, too, was the happiness that she brought with her to Epimethus. Before her coming, as he well now knew, the fair world had been incomplete. Since she came, the fragrant flowers had grown more sweet for him, the song of the birds more full of melody. He found new life in Pandora and marveled how his brother could ever have fancied that she could bring to the world aught but peace and joyousness. Now when the gods had entrusted to the Titan brothers the endowment of all living things upon the earth, they had been careful to withhold everything that might bring into the world pain, sickness, anxiety, bitterness of heart, remorse, or soul-crushing sorrow. All these hurtful things were imprisoned in a coffer, which was given into the care of the trusty Epimethus. To Pandora, the world in which she came was all fresh, all new, quite full of unexpected joys and delightful surprises. It was a world of mystery, but mystery of which her great, adoring, simple titan held the golden key. When she saw the coffer, which never was opened, what then more natural than that she should ask Epimethus what it contained? But the contents were known only to the gods. Epimethus was unable to answer. Day by day, the curiosity of Pandora increased. To her, the gods had never given anything but good. Surely there must be here gifts more precious still. What if the Olympians had destined her to be the one to open the casket, and had sent her to earth in order that she might bestow on this dear world, on the men who lived on it, and on her own magnificent titan, happiness and blessings, which only the minds of gods could have conceived? Thus did there come a day when Pandora, unconscious instrument in the hands of a vengeful Olympian, in all faith, and with the courage that is born of faith and of love, opened the lid of the prison house of evil. And as from the coffers in the old Egyptian tombs, the live plague can still rush forth and slay, the long-imprisoned evils rushed forth upon the fair earth and on the human beings who lived on it, malignant, ruthless, fierce, treacherous, and cruel, poisoning, slaying, devouring, plague and pestilence, and murder and envy and malice and revenge and all viciousness, an ugly wolf pack indeed was that one let loose by Pandora. Terror, doubt, misery, all had rushed straight away to attack her heart, while the evils of which she had never dreamed stung mind and soul into dismay and horror, when, by hastily shutting the lid of the coffer, she tried to undo the evil she had done. And lo, she found that the gods had imprisoned one good gift only in this inferno of horrors and of ugliness. In the world, there had never been any need of hope. What work was there for hope to do where all was perfect and where each creature possessed the desire of body and of heart? Therefore, hope was thrust into the chest that held the evils, a star in a black night, a lily growing on a dung heap. And as Pandora, white-lipped and trembling, looked into the otherwise empty box, Courage came back to her heart, and Epimethus let fall to his side the arm that would have slain the woman of his love, because there came to him, like a drought of wine to a warrior spent in battle, an imperial vision of the sons of men through all the eons to come, combating all evils of body and of soul, going on conquering and to conquer. Thus, saved by hope, 
the titan and the woman faced the future, and for them, the vengeance of the gods was stayed. Thank you for listening to the myth of Pandora. Do you sometimes feel as curious as Pandora and just need to figure something out? When is curiosity a good thing? When is it bad? Was there an unexpected gift in the box with all that evil? Our poem for today is When in Disgrace with Fortune by William Shakespeare. It reads, When in disgrace with fortune in men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state, and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries, and look upon myself and curse my fate. Wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope, with what I most enjoy contented least. Yet in these thoughts myself almost despising, happily I think on thee, and then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked this episode, please rate it on your favorite podcast platform. I might even say your name on a future episode. Don't forget to keep reading and join me next week for another Rebecca Reads.